Chapter Two of the Three Midshipmen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ron Johnson. The Three Midshipmen by William Henry Giles Kingston. Chapter Two in the mediterranean the gallant frigate which bore the three midshipmen and their fortunes was soon plunging into a heavy sea caused by a strong breeze from the westward which she encountered as she stood across the bay of biscay there we lay all the day in the bay of biscay oh sang patty adair as he with other young gentlemen sat in the berth after dinner but as he sang there was a tremulousness in his voice ominous of a troubled soul within while the o came out with a peculiar emphasis which brought down upon him the laughter of the other youngsters who having been rather longer at sea had become accustomed to such joltings and tumblings about jack meantime who had just come below from his watch on deck was attacking with ferocity which made it appear as if he was contending with some bitter enemy instead of a plentiful dinner the boiled beef and biscuit the boy had lately placed on the table when spoken to he scarcely looked up but continued cramming mouthful after mouthful down his throat while his eyes rolled round and round and more than once he gazed at the door contemplating evidently how he could most quickly make his escape on deck alec murray meantime leaned back at the end of the berth with the book in his hand under the impression that he was reading but his head ached his dinner had been untasted and though his eyes may have seen the letters they conveyed no impression to his brain the rest of the members of the mess were variously employed some were writing up their logs others doing their day's work a few reading and some were discussing subjects of not very erudite at all events apparently highly amusing to themselves from the peals of laughter they occasionally elicited two youngsters were having a quiet little fight in the corner pummeling each other's heads to their heart's content till brought to order by a couple of books aimed scientifically across the berth by old hemming the senior maid of the mess who from constant practice was very perfect in that mode of projecting missiles there were several other past mates in the berth and two assistant surgeons one of them old enough to be the father of any of the youngsters and a second master and a master's assistant and the captain and pursuer's clerk and three or four other midshipmen of various ages all of them did not belong to the frigate but some were supernumeraries going out to other ships on the station the fathers of some present were of high rank and they had been accustomed to all the luxuries wealth can give while others were the sons of poor men officers in the army and navy who had little beyond their way on which to depend altogether they formed a very heterogeneous mass and a strict system of discipline was required to keep them in order captain lascelles who commanded the racer was an officer and a gentleman in the true sense of the word and he wished that all the officers under his command should deserve the same character those belonging to the gun-room were mostly men of this description but one or two scarcely came up to it of these one was the lieutenant of marines he formed an exception to the general character won by that noble corps for a braver and more gallant set of men are nowhere to be found lieutenant spry was not a favorite either with his superiors or with those below him the midshipmen especially disliked him and he seemed to have a decided antipathy to them 
to return to the midshipman's berth. Jack Rogers continued to bolt his beef, Alec to fancy that he was reading, and Adair to try and sing when, in spite of his courage, nature, or rather the tumblification of the ship, triumphed. Springing over the table, he rushed up the hatchway towards the nearest port on the upper deck. Now, as it happened, Lieutenant Spry was with uneasy steps endeavoring to take his constitutional walk along the deck at that moment, and Paddy, not seeing him, ran with his head directly against the lower button of the marine officer's waistcoat, whereupon the seasick midshipman found his ears pinched and received a shower of no very refined epithets. Poor Terence, who essentially the gentleman, would not have retorted if he could, was able only to ejaculate, "'Beg pardon, sir,' when the usual result of seasickness followed, to the no small disfigurement of the marine's white trousers. The enraged officer on this thundered down invectives on poor Paddy's head and finished off in a most unofficer-like way by kicking him down the hatchway from whence he had just emerged. Adair returned, crestfallen and miserable, brooding over the injury and insults he had received. There could have been no doubt that a formal complaint made to the captain would have brought down a severe reprimand on the head of the marine officer. But the idea of making a complaint never crossed the imagination of the midshipman. Paddy, however, told his story to his companions, and even Murray agreed that Mr. Spry had merited punishment. They eagerly discussed the subject. All the midshipmen had been insulted in the person of Adair, and it was not long before a bright idea was elicited from among them. On board the ship, belonging to the men, was a large monkey whom they called Quirk, a very tame and sagacious animal, who had a peculiar aptitude for learning any trick which any person had perseverance enough to teach him. He'd no more nor any of the ship's boys if it weren't for its tail, the men used to remark after the performance of one of his clever tricks. Capital! exclaimed Jack, forgetting all about the seasickness and clapping his hand with delight when the idea which had been brought forth was pronounced. He'll do in it first-rate style. <laughs> and a merry peal of laughter ran through the berth. The gale blew over, and the sea once more was bright and blue as the frigate made her way towards the rock of Gibraltar. For several days the three midshipmen were wonderfully quiet below, Sometimes they were forward and sometimes they sat together at the farther end of their own berth. They had needles and thread and scissors underway and bits of red cloth and leather and indeed all sorts of outfitters' materials, the employment on which seemed to afford them infinite satisfaction. Mr. Spry, as in fancied dignity he paced the quarter-deck, of course did not remark the constant absence of so insignificant a person as a midshipman from it and the recollection that he had behaved not altogether in a becoming way to Adair did not probably cross his mind. Now the lieutenant had a peculiar pompous air, and the habit, whenever he wished to blow his nose, of drawing his white cambric pocket handkerchief from his breast pocket with what he thought peculiar dignity, and of flourishing it in his hands after each operation in a fine theatrical style. He had read in some advertising circular that the use of a fine cambric handkerchief always marks the gentleman, so he considered that if he purchased a set, no one would afterwards venture to doubt his claim to that character. All day long, Jack or Alec or Paddy, sometimes singly and sometimes all together, 
were forward in the company of no less important a character than Quirk the monkey. It is extraordinary how perseveringly they devoted themselves to him. Had they employed the same time in teaching some of their fellow creatures, the ship's boys, they might have imparted a considerable amount of useful knowledge, notwithstanding what the men said on the subject. At last, they considered that the time had arrived for bringing their labors to a triumphant result. One fine, calm morning, the Marines had been called out to drill. For some reason, Lieutenant Spry did not at once make his appearance. But a representative came forward instead in the person of Master Quirk, who sprang after the spot which should have been occupied by the lieutenant, dressed in full fig with red coat and belt and hat and a sword by his side while his breast pocket was well stuffed out with a huge piece of white cotton. Attention! cried out someone on deck. The man unconsciously obeyed and instantly Quirk drew out his handkerchief and spluttering with a loud noise flourished it vehemently in the air on this even the self-possession of the marines gave way and instead of being angry they burst into uncontrollable fits of laughter which were joined in by all the spectators who were crowding aft to see the fun at that moment mr spry rushed on deck using his handkerchief exactly as quirk had been doing and when the whole scene burst on him his fury knew no bounds he rushed to his station at the head of his men, which the monkey seemed in no way disposed to vacate, nor did he till his quick eye caught sight of the toe of the officer approaching him when with a loud chuckling, Quacko, 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 he leaped nimbly up the ringing. It was some time before order was restored, and even while his drill was going on, a merry peal of laughter reached the ears of the fuming lieutenant from different parts of the deck in which he felt certain he could recognize the voices of Adair and his two friends. The moment the drill was over, instead of acting like a wise man and passing the matter over as an occurrence in no way intended to annoy him, he went aft and made a formal complaint to Captain Lascelles. As every man who chooses to encourage a toady can have one, so even had Lieutenant Spry in the person of one of his men who had watched the proceedings of the midshipmen and now came forward as a witness against them. All three were summoned to the cabin, and they could not, of course, deny the charge. The captain had considerable difficulty in keeping his countenance, as Patty, acting as spokesman of the party, pleaded their cause. He did not mend it when he confessed that the trick had been played in consequence of the way the lieutenant had treated them. It is mean and unchristian and altogether wrong to harbor revenge young gentlemen said the captain i cannot now take cognizance of mr spry's conduct on the occasion to which you allude and i conclude that he will be satisfied if you apologize to him as the conduct of which you have been guilty was public so also must be your punishment go up each of you to one of the mastheads and remain there till i call you down Adair, do you go to the mizzenmast? Rogers, take the mainmast, and Murray the foremast. I have settled that matter, I hope, to your satisfaction, Mr. Spry, observed the captain with a freezing manner which somewhat dampened the dignity of the lieutenant. Up the rigging went the three midshipmen, each of them obtaining possession of a handful of biscuit and a piece of beef to stay their hunger as they had a prospect of losing their dinners unless the captain relented sooner than could be expected. 
there they all sat on their lofty perches occasionally making telegraphic signals to each other and not particularly unhappy with their punishment the captain and gun-room officers were taking their forenoon quarter-deck walk and nearly everybody on board was on deck when a loud chattering was heard and who should be seen mounting the mizzen rigging but quirk still habited in his red coat with his hat fixed firmly on his head intent most clearly on mischief no sooner did he get alongside adair than pulling out his handkerchief he flourished it vehemently in his face and then as if satisfied with the performance of his lesson he slid down the mizzen topmast day and in an instant after was up again close to jack before whom he performed the same ceremony patty and jack almost fell from their perches with laughter especially when quirk sprang forward along another stay and paid a similar visit to murray everybody on deck was looking on and all abaft were amused with the exception of lieutenant spry who was in a towering rage owing that he would demand a court-martial and get the midshipman or the monkey or himself nobody knew exactly which dismissed the ship the lieutenant shouted out to somebody to catch the monkey but as he did not name any one in particular no one went and he had the pleasure of observing his own peculiarity exhibited backwards and forwards from masthead to masthead several times in succession a joke must have an end and the captain seeing that the best way of bringing this to a conclusion it being somewhat subversive of discipline was to call the midshipmen down they were allowed to return once more on deck while quirk's new red coat and accoutrements were seized and hove overboard to appease the rage of the marine officer however quirk having been carefully instructed lost no opportunity of exhibiting his talents and whenever the marines were drawn up or the seamen were at divisions if he happened to be loose he invariably appeared in front of them flourishing a piece of canvas or a bit of paper or anything he could lay paws on to represent a pocket-handkerchief at length that classic sea whose shores have been the scene of the most interesting events of the world's history that sea which leads to italy to greece to the holy land to egypt with its wondrous nile and grand old mysterious ruins the mediterranean was sighted and the frigate dropped her anchor below the high rock of gibraltar also celebrated somewhat in later times for the way in which it was captured by sir george rook and has been kept ever since by the obstinate english the midshipman had just time to run through the galleries perforated in the rock to climb to its highest peak and to get a look at the frolicsome monkeys which dwell in undisturbed liberty on its southeastern side before the ship again sailed they heard that the firefly the sloop of war to which murray was appointed had gone to greece so they had the prospect of remaining some time longer together at malta the racer remained only a few days when she was ordered off to the ionian islands the first place at which she brought up was in the harbour of corfu it is a lovely spot the picturesque hills of the island are seen on one side and the lofty mountains of albania on the other of the strait which divides it from the mainland here murray was separated from his two old schoolfellows the firefly came in and he had to join her the three midshipmen had made good use of their time and had picked up a fair amount of seamanship they had now some practice in boating 
an amusement which the captain always encouraged for as he observed almost as many lives were lost from ignorance of how to manage a boat properly as in any other way this sort of work jack and adair especially liked the frigate had put to sea to visit some of the neighboring islands and had more than once returned into port when one afternoon captain lascelles summoned hemming into the cabin i have a dispatch to send to janina mr hemming said he you will take the cutter and two of the midshipmen with you adair and rogers send them back as soon as you land you will take horses and travel across the country and the frigate will call for you in the course of a few days aye aye sir answered hemming who never spoke a word more than was necessary in the presence of his superiors jack and patty were delighted when they found that they were to go on the expedition for though old hemming kept somewhat a taut hand over them they had a just regard for his good qualities they secretly also resolved to indemnify themselves on their return passage by having as much fun as they could the cutter was a fine boat and as they had a fair breeze they made rapid progress towards their destination they sat very demurely one on either side of old hemming eating their bread and cheese and taking the half wine glass full of grog which he handed to them each time that he helped himself to a full tumbler that is quite enough for such little chaps as you said he if you were to begin now and to take two or three tumblers full as i do by the time you are my age you would have drunk fifty hogsheads of rum and i don't know how many tons of water perhaps hemming's calculations were not exactly correct but the advice was at all events good he took care that it should be followed by leaving them only half a bottle of rum for their return putting the remainder of the bottles into the saddle-bags he had brought for his journey jack and terence watched him trotting off on a greek rosinant with the said well-filled saddle-bags behind him a thick stick in his hand and a brace of ship's pistols in his holsters till he was out of sight terence said jack we ought to return to the boat and get under way yes but i vote we do something in the catering line first was the answer so they found their way to the market where by dint of signs and a few words of lingua franca they laid in a store of fruit and fowls and fish and vegetables of various sorts which two or three bottles of what they understood was first-rate samian wine with this provision for the inner man they returned to the boat and made sail for corfu the wind was light and they made but slow progress however they were very happy and in no hurry to get back to the ship it happened that they had been lately reading james's naval history and patty especially had been much struck by some of the exploits performed by single boats crews jack said he i don't think we ought to go back to the ship without doing something we are doing something answered jack who was very matter-of-fact we are eating a jolly good dinner he held up the leg of chicken this is the last of a fowl i've had to my share I but i mean something to be talked about something glorious answered patty let's take a prize a prize where is one to be found asked jack in no way disinclined to do something oh we'll fall in with her before long replied patty one of these greek chaps they're all pirates you know 
and would cut our throats if they dared. Patty was jumping rather too fast at conclusions, but Jack, who also thought it would be a very fine thing to take a prize, although some doubts crossed his mind as to the propriety of so doing, did not attempt to dissuade him from his intentions. It never occurred to the young aspirants for naval renown that they should have made the men get out their oars and pull as there was a perfect calm. The boat floated quietly on all night. Soon after daylight, they espied a long, low, lateen-rigged craft stealing along close in with the land, her white canvas dimly seen through the morning mist. "'That shall be our prize!' exclaimed Paddy, standing up in the stern sheet, whereupon he made the crew a speech, and talked a great deal about honor, glory, and renown, and treading in the steps of the old heroes of Great Britain, and prize money, and several other things. The last mentioned his auditors understood somewhat better than the first. It was all the same to them whether England was at war or not with the nation to which the craft in view belonged. The officers must know all about the matter, so there was no dissentient voice, and now, getting out their oars fast enough, they pulled away with a hearty cheer towards the craft in sight. The vessel was undoubtedly a Greek. Her crew probably could not conceive why they were chased. The wind was too light to enable them to make much way with their sails, and though they had oars, they were unable to urge on their craft fast enough to escape the English boat. From the gestures of their pursuers, the Greeks saw that they were about to be attacked, and as the cutter ran alongside, they attempted to defend themselves. But although the seamen had only the boat's stretchers, and Paddy and Jack alone had pistols, which fortunately would not go off, the Greeks very speedily gave way and tumbled down below. What are we to do now? asked Jack, who, having joined the ship later, was under Adair's command. Carry our prize in triumph into Corfu, answered Paddy, taking a turn with a dignified air on the deck. I should like to see what that prig spry will say to us now. As the Greeks could not speak a word of English, nor the English a word of Greek, no explanations could be made. The Greeks shrugged their shoulders, and having been accustomed to be knocked about a good deal by the Turks, and to untoward events in general, took things very philosophically. A breeze sprang up, and with the cutter in tow, the midshipmen shaped a course as well as they could calculate for Corfu. The Greek crew were far more numerous than the English, so Jack advised that a guard should be set over them, lest they might attempt to retake the vessel, an occurrence he had read which had often happened when proper precautions were neglected. I hope it's all right, observed Jack, but what we have done seems somewhat funny. Who fears, answered Paddy. What else have we to do but to fight our enemies? As Jack had not already answered to this question, the subject dropped. Their attention was soon occupied by seeing a vessel standing up the channel so as directly to cross their course. She's the Firefly, exclaimed Jack. Is she not, Thompson? he asked of the boatswain of the boat. No doubt about it, sir, was the answer, and in a lower voice. And now my wigs, won't the youngsters catch it? When the sloop of war drew near, she fired a gun as a signal to the Greek vessel to heave to. As the midshipmen knew what that meant, they at once obeyed, and in a short time a boat was seen pulling towards them. A lieutenant and a midshipman were in her. The latter was no other than Alec Murray. 
they cordially greeted him and terence had begun to boast of their achievement when the lieutenant mr gale exclaimed what does all this mean youngsters what have you been about terence tried to explain but everything he said only made matters worse happily mr gale was a very kind judicious man and soon comprehended that the midshipmen had acted through ignorance and thoughtlessness had you reached corfu with your so-called prize you might have been brought into serious trouble he remarked as no great harm has hitherto taken place perhaps we may induce the greek master and his crew not to make any complaint i will see what can be done oh yes sir exclaimed alec murray if we can bribe him off i shall be glad to pay any sum you think necessary fortunately i have the means at my disposal and he put a purse into mr gale's hand don't say a word about it my dear fellows he added as terence and jack were expostulating with him for spending so much money on their account as we have done the harm we must stand the blame you know they said mr gale had long been accustomed to the greeks and spoke their language fluently and having first frightened the master by proving to him that his detention was his own fault because he had not explained that he was an honest trader in order to show the good feeling of the english he promised forthwith to liberate him the greek was profuse in his thanks especially when the lieutenant to exhibit the magnanimity of his captors presented him with a bottle of rum and a few piastres perfectly satisfied with the turn in the state of affairs the greeks were voluble in their expression of gratitude and waving their hands pressed them to their hearts as the two boats pulled away for the corvette captain hartland her commander soon after they came on board gave the two midshipmen a severe lecture for their behavior and telling them to make the best of their way back to corfu advised them not to boast too loudly of their exploit alec who was decidedly a favorite had they found in the meantime contrived to plead their cause they followed captain hartland's advice but they felt very crestfallen and sheepish for some days after they got back to their own ship the story however leaked out in time and terence and jack had of course to stand a good deal of quizzing on the subject at last a paddy's prize became a cant saying on board when anybody had taken anything to which he had no right several months passed away the winter came on the racer met with a severe gale in which she was partially dismasted and received so much damage that she had to put into valletta harbour to repair she found the firefly there and as captain hartland had the character of being very attentive to the instruction of his midshipmen in seamanship captain lascelles got him to take terence and jack with him for a cruise while the frigate was refitting nothing loath they transferred themselves with their chests on board the corvette and once more the three schoolfellows were together they found the life on board the corvette very different to that of the frigate the hands were constantly in the tar bucket and paint pot they were forever employed in knotting and splicing and in rigging and unrigging a model ship which had been made on purpose to instruct them all the midshipmen of the brig were compelled to man the mizzenmast and to take it completely under their charge this system very much increased the knowledge of the practical details of seamanship which it is important every officer should know a good officer is thoroughly acquainted in the most minute particular with everything men are required to know and a great deal more this remark refers not only to the navy but to the army and to every other calling in life the firefly was a very happy ship for though no one was allowed to be idle the captain was kind and just and took care that each person should do his duty so that the work to be done was equally divided among all hands 
on quitting malta she sailed for the eastward and was for some time kept cruising among the ionian islands and on the coast of greece carrying dispatches from place to place the wind had been from the northward and the ship had been kept somewhat close in with the greek coast to shorten the distance to be run from one spot to another when one of those severe gales which in the winter season in the mediterranean sometimes spring up suddenly came on to blow the corvette was caught on a lee shore and embayed it was night all hands were called the fury of the gale increased sail was taken off the ship but still it was necessary to carry far more than would have been set under other circumstances that she might if possible beat out the bay she was pressed down till the hammock nettings were almost under water still her masts stood but no one could predict how long they could bear the terrific strain put upon them darker and darker grew the night the vivid flashes of lightning very now and then revealing the countenances of the officers and crew as they strained their eyes in their endeavors to discover through the darkness how far off was the much dreaded shore the three midshipmen stood together holding on to the weather bulwarks with some of the gun-room officers others were at their stations in different parts of the ship the lightning showed that the cheeks of the oldest were pale they full well knew the terrific danger in which the ship was placed the captain stood calm and collected conning the ship and ready to take advantage of any shift of wind which might enable her to get a point off the shore no one moved no one spoke the howling of the gale and the dashing of the waters were the only sounds heard suddenly all were aroused into activity by the deep full tones of the captain's voice about ship down with the helm hamsalee main topsail haul haul of all were the orders given in slow succession round came the ship in noble style but it was soon clear that she had gained nothing by the change her course did not point more offshore on her present track than it had done on the former one no land could be seen but men were stationed in the chains with the lead to give notice of their approach to it it was soon evident that the ship was drifting nearer and nearer to the shore the rocky and dangerous character of which every one on board full well knew yet each was prepared to struggle to the last to do his duty whatever might befall them what's going to happen asked patty people don't seem to like this fun we should have to swim for it i suspect remarked jack we must be prepared for the worst observed alec murray rogers adair has it ever struck you that we may be summoned at any moment to stand in the presence of the judge of all men what shall we have to say for ourselves the thought should not make us cowards but we should not drive it away i know that while murray was speaking there was a terrific report the foresail was blown out of the boat ropes at the same moment a more than usually bright flash of lightning which darted across the whole northern sky revealed the frowning rocks of the coast under their lee prepare to anchor ship cried the captain it was a last resource the remaining canvas was furled the best boa was let go the top masts were struck and it was hoped that the ship might hold on till the gale abated no one went below this work performed all hands returned to their stations once more the gale came down on them with increased fury the ship plunged into the foaming seas which rolled up around her the best bower parted another anchor was let go and the full length of the cable veered out an hour more passed by in anxious suspense death in its most ferocious aspect threatening all on board the cable parted 
the sheet anchor was let go and alone now kept the brig from destruction still the gale did not abate the night wore on the officers forward reported that the ship was dragging the anchor her last hope of safety it must be done said the captain with a sigh to the first lieutenant order the carpenter to cut away the foremast the carpenter and his crew were prepared for what they had suspected was inevitable their axes gleamed as the lightning flashed vividly around them the crew stood by to cut away the rigging with axes and knives down came the mast with crash to port and floated quickly by towards the shore the next few minutes were passed with intense anxiety by every one on board does she hold on mr gale the captain asked of the first lieutenant she still drags sir was the ominous reply the other mast must go cried the captain the order was quickly executed the main mast fell to starboard followed by the mizzen mast and the late gallant-looking ship floated a dismantled hulk amid the foaming waves but the sacrifice was in vain scarcely had the mast gone than the last cable parted and the gallant ship drifted onwards toward the threatening shore still captain hartman was not a man to yield while a possibility remained of saving his ship and the lives of those entrusted to him the corvette carried aft two heavy guns for throwing shells some spare hempen cables were got up from below and made fast to them when hove overboard they checked her away daylight at length came and revealed her terrific position high cliffs and dark rugged wild rocks over which the sea broke in masses of foam appeared on every side pale and anxious the crew stood at their stations the wind roared the cold was bitter a startling terror-inspiring cry was heard the last cable has parted three midshipmen shook hands they believed that they were soon to be separated never to meet again in this world on on with heavy plunges amid the foaming waters the doomed ship hurried to meet her fate end of chapter two recording by ron johnson